This podcast is brought to you by our longtime Patreon supporters like Greg Bench, Trey Whetstone, Amy Swan, and Joel Robertson, and new patrons like Andred, Carl Davis, and Nick Stunt. Stick around for an extended shout out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Son, and I promise, listening to this podcast episode won't turn your head into snakes and crickets. Now, that's not a promise that most people can make. <laughs> oh, as we record this, it is officially Halloween season. We are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we cover, and today, we are back into what we started last year, which is our Halloween franchise review. Last year, we decided to do all the Michael Myers films from Halloween 1978 up to Halloween Kills. Today, we are discussing Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And to do this right, we called in a frequent guest and perhaps, perhaps the face of Halloween, a man whose name is an honored verb over at LOTC and a darn good crooner as well. Welcome back, Mr. Greg Bench. I'm glad to be back. This is going to be a, a good conversation, I think. Yeah, because this, this movie's something. Um, the IMDb synopsis for Halloween 3 reads, Kids all over America want silver shamrock masks for Halloween. Dr. Daniel Callies, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, seeks to uncover a plot by silver shamrock owner, Conal Cochran. Eh. Mm. Greg, when did you first see Halloween 3? <laughs> um, I saw Halloween 3. Um, it would have been in the late 80s. Uh, I... I actually saw it with my brother, my eldest brother. And what was interesting was I think I'm going to be with, I would say a majority. I shouldn't say it like that, but, um, you know, it would have been around the Halloween time and knowing about the franchise, probably visiting it. And when I saw it, I was really turned off by it because hmm. I wanted Michael Myers, like most of America in 1982. Where's my Michael? You know, right. so it was just really kind of jarring and it kind of got thrown to the wayside, kind of like how Friday the 13th part five, because it doesn't have Jay, you know, the real Jason. Sorry, spoiler alert mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it, but it kind of gets dumbed down because it's people just don't feel like it's in the same realm, even though it, technically it is. Um, and that's where I think Halloween three kind of has. And it's kind of come around with a renaissance, if you will. So. Um, even the director, Tommy Lee Wallace, says if you can just s separate it as a standalone movie, it's really good. So, yeah, Jackson, what about you? When did you first see Halloween 3? Well, I didn't see it until a couple years ago. because, And I think it was kind of like, honestly, that was a huge disservice because I'd heard on the Internet this the public opinion that, oh, it's the worst movie ever. It doesn't have Michael in it, you know, whatever. But, like, people can complain all they want about Michael not being this, but I don't think it's even up for debate that this is a better film than some of the movies with Michael in them. Like, I mean, we've, we've still got Dean Cundy behind the camera. We got John Carpenter on the score, Deborah Hill producing. There are no, like, white horses. There are no internet live streams. <laughs> no evil dies tonight. I mean, it's just like, this is just a good, solid movie. And, and yeah, I mean, just like you said, the reason, even though there's no Michael in it, if you can just watch it as a movie, and it, it is it is harmed by that Halloween um, 
that Halloween title. And I think it would have been, honestly, it would have been received a lot better if this was Halloween 2, right? If there was no Michael in it and this was the original plan, which was just to have this be a horror, you know, kind of anthology mm-hmm. series. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. But this was this I, for so long, I didn't check this out because people were telling me that it was crap. Yeah, I saw this either on cable or rented it on VHS, probably in 1983. I knew beforehand Michael Myers wasn't in it um, because I think I'd read something in Fangoria. Um, And I remember having mixed feelings about it at that time, but we'll, we'll get there. So let's jump into the plot and the screenplay. So... The plot is we have a local, and, and you guys interrupt me at any time, because this is what I think the plot is, <laughs> okay? Okay. The plot is we have a local general store owner who is fleeing from what we learn are robots while grasping a silver shamrock mask. Tom Atkins is a doctor on call, and the man comes in raving. He's killed in his bed, and his attacker sets himself on fire in the parking lot. The store owner's daughter shows up, played by uh, Stacey Nelkin. We'll talk about her later. She's interesting. And she and the good doctor decide to play Scooby-Doo, and they follow the dead store owner's tracks. They find the Silver Shamrock factory run by Irishman Conal Cochran, who turns out to be a warlock who wants to renew the child sacrifices of Samhain. He does this by placing what I guess is a computer chip that's somehow tied to a stolen piece of Stonehenge (laughs) that when watching the Silver Shamrock TV ad activates the chip and creates snakes and spiders to kill the children. Is that right? Sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. That's, you know, as as odd as that sounds and as, uh, as if you, it feels like you should be missing something, but really that is it. Um, It is, it is just that. I mean, okay. So, it is it is a cool opening right it starts off very like Mm -hmm. kind of spooky and they live um first of all great opening credit sequence like i think we can agree on that it's pretty awesome how like the you know the lines that on the led like line up with the score and everything like the first i would say the first four halloween movies have like the strongest openings in the in the slasher genre i mean it's just like perfect openings and I also, you know, like I was saying, there's a lot of Halloween 3 slander, but I don't think anybody would disagree that Carpenter and Alan Howarth on the score were, like, at the top of their game. It's it's very Giallo-esque with those, like, piercing scents, but, um, but really good stuff. But, yeah, that first scene, we don't really know what's going on. And, honestly, that first scene is more interesting and mysterious and scary than the rest of the movie combined. Once we learn more about the actual, like, what's what's going on, I think it loses a lot of the mystique. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just with what's hinted, you know, we have this, this killer businessman who's not afraid to die. He'll choke out this guy, even if it means getting crushed by a car, right? He's not moving. Um, so yeah, this, these, these businessmen with no fear of death, it's, it's really, it's really creepy. They'll, they'll kill themselves so that you never find out any information about them. Um, it's, it's really cool. And then as we learn more and learn more about, uh, Connell Cochran, what's his name? It's, yeah, Connell Cochran. <laughs> the colonel from KFC, whatever is going on with him. It's yeah, as we learn more, I think it loses this mystique a little bit. But but man, great great opening. I mean, it's a little weird that uh Tom Atkins slaps his nurse, he spanks his nurse on the butt. Like, what's going on with their relationship? Uh um, it was the eighties. 
Yeah, I guess it's the, so. It's, it's the stash. He got away with everything. He got away with the stash, I guess, yeah. I guess so. Some people would call that a porn stash and consider it creepy, but I guess if it's on Tom Adkins, it's different. It is different. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's just very odd. Like, like he takes a nap at the hospital with his white coat and shoes on. Like, yeah. he's supposed to be our protagonist. He's, he's got an uphill battle to win me over. And I'm not sure he does by the, by the end of the movie. Um, like we'll, we'll get into it, his relationship with Ellie and everything that goes on with that. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly an interesting character. He's definitely, uh, you know, left field going from Laurie Strode to this guy, uh, as our protagonist on the Halloween series was, was kind of a bold choice. Well, but you have to, do you agree that like, when you watch this movie, you may turn your brain off and just watch it. But when you actually like spell out the plot for somebody, it's bonkers. <laughs> right, Greg? It's oh, bonkers. Yeah. yeah, it is. It ta- it takes a little bit of disbelief to believe what what you're listening to. So Yeah, I mean I mean Jackson, am I am I wrong? No, not at all. I mean, I'm sure that this was a Stephen King. There's a fair bit of coke involved in this. There had to be at some point. Because <laughs> there's no way you come up with this stone cold sober. And if you do, then it's mental illness. I mean, it's one or the other. But I mean the fact that it's so odd, they didn't just do a different horror anthology. They could have done it about anything, even like a different killer, and it's just another slasher movie. The The way they decided to go with this is so odd that I kind of respect it a little bit. I mean, it's like, this took some serious balls to make this, to, to tell everyone, check out the new Halloween movie. It's going to be meta and have Halloween the movie in it. And there are going to be killer robots that puke up yellow ooze and Stonehenge and yeah, a mask that turns your head into snakes. Yeah. It took a lot of guts to, to make this. <laughs> and, you know, part of me is thinking that John Carpenter was just like, haha, this will kill the series forever and I'll never have to make another one. Uh, but another part of me is thinking that he was like, this could be cool. So I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about all yeah. this, but I mean, I, I, apparently there were several screenwriters. I think it kind of shows it was rushed. I mean, Tommy Lee Wallace admits that cause you know, you had Halloween two in 1981. This came out in 82. There was original screenwriter, John Carpenter did some writing on it, Deborah Hill did some writing on it, Tommy Lee Wallace did some writing on it. I, I, I think that that may explain it. What do you think, Greg? I think you're, I think you're hitting it right on the nose. Um, and that's, that's nothing atypical to those movies that they feel, um, I don't want to use, I, I guess, lopsided, um, where you can see all these all these ideas in the kitchen sink too. And you need to have a master writer come in and smooth it all over, paint over all the separate ideas to kind of not make it so jarring. I think this movie, it it, it magically worked only because of hindsight and what we are given. Um, But yeah, I mean, even Tommy Lee Wallace was like, John Carpenter wasn't happy that I excluded this and Deborah Hill really pushed this. And so, yeah, there were a lot of, there were a lot of chefs in the kitchen on, on this one, Jackson, you've taken, you know, classes on screenplays. Can you see that, that there were a lot of hands on this? Oh, definitely. Because there are so many things that it like, it it feels like it wants to be a bunch of different movies, Mm -hmm. right? It has this like weird, mysterious caper element but it also has this like sci-fi they live style type thing where these robot androids in it 
And it's like, okay, so what is, it, it would have kind of been more interesting to me. So we get that, this is kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but we get that part at the end where Tom Atkins asks uh, Cochran why he's going through this plan. And at first he just says, you know, you know, why, why do I need a reason? Why not? And that would have kind of been interesting if we have no idea why he's doing this. But of course he goes on to explain it's a Sawin thing. And that, that's, that's cool, I guess. But um, I don't really know about that. It's like, you're going to sacrifice something to Sawin. So it's the plan that the, the, okay. So the kids are killed because their head turns into snakes and then the snakes bite the, the adults and that kills them. And then I, everybody's dead. Is that I guess. Plan? Can can somebody explain to me Connell Cochran's escape plan? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What officers? We, 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 yeah, we're we're a mass company. Of course, we've got Stonehenge here, and you know, no, we yeah. had nothing to do with it. Yeah. So when they when they learn that all these kids were watching this ad when their head turned into snakes, they're going to come asking questions to, about him, and then they're going to find Stonehenge in his laboratory and all these androids. Yeah, that's really not a good plan. I mean, he kind of, honestly, he was saved from a life in prison by being, you know, shot with that laser. <laughs> and can somebody please too? explain that? What happened there? <laughs> what is that? Greg, you're going to have to take this. I have, I have no idea. He's just vaporized in Stonehenge magic. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's it's interesting. Um, it's one of those things that I love about the 80s movies is the, I call it the blue lightning. Um, yeah. Because it's just everywhere and it's just great. And you know what it is, even though it, it doesn't really look real, but you know what it is. And um, I think he got his head it right with the, the Scooby-Doo feeling because, you know, here you got you these junior detectives that really don't know what they're doing and they kind of everything happens by happenstance and um there's mischievousness with them and they see people die they see the androids they discover that and um and honestly you have the uh, james bond villain ending because cochran yes. gives all of his plans away and you know well we're just going to tie you up into this chair and put a mask on you so that when you know, the Silver Shamrock commercial plays, you too will be a victim. And then it's like they don't have a guy monitoring them, except for yeah, they do, but they don't. Yeah, it's the Austin Powers solution, it is. right? Yeah. That you just, <laughs> right, Dr. Evil's son. This is just shoot him in the head. You know, you shoot, have one of your robots come over, push their fingers into his eyes, let's get back to work. There's no reason to explain all this, is no. there? No, but it's okay. <laughs> He says that it's because, oh, you're a man of science. You'll find this interesting. Like, he's an ER doc. He's not like a Stonehenge <laughs> scientist. I don't understand why he's showing him this. It is very strange. You know, honestly, I think that a lot of it for supervillains is the moment of the reveal. That's why they do it all. So he just decided Tom Atkins was the guy he was going to reveal his evil plan to. Because you're right. As soon as, you know, this, he, he, if he pulls this plan off, they're all going to come asking questions of him and the ruse is going to be up. So I don't, I, I guess this is what it's all for is this moment right I, here. Him showing. We could do an entire items. episodes of just my questions about the plot and what is yeah. going on. Like, I don't understand. They get to the, is the whole town in on it? Yeah, I, I it, think so. It seems because like they're it, all like, like, they're all given, you know, Tom Atkins, you know, and, and Ellie, you know, Dr. Callies and Ellie, like the entire town are like pausing to stare at them. Like nobody's ever shown up to that factory before. And, but it seems like people do all the time. 
And then they're all giving them like the stink eye and they're all just pausing and looking at them. And it's like, they can't all be robots, right? I don't think so. But I mean, you, are you going to bite the hand that feeds you kind of syndrome where, you know, basically the whole town is Silver Shamrock. So without Silver Shamrock, they wouldn't have a town kind of. A- so, you know, it's one of those things where, look, honey, I know that <laughs> um, sacrificing millions of children around the world is uh is cruel and it's you know it's it's mass homicide but uh but honey we got a really nice place here <laughs> and uh you know i've got a you know i've been working in the billing department down at silver shamrock for a long time my pension kicks in in a couple years so <laughs> exactly <laughs> is that the conversation that's going on yeah i just hold a blind eye <laughs> i'm just a henchman you know don't worry about me Oh, because it seems like the women working at the office desk, they don't seem like robots, right? No. <laughs> so it's just, oh, I had, so even when I was 11, I was watching this going, wait a minute, what? What's going on? And it seems like the masks have this computer chip that, that I guess a piece of, a little piece of stone hinge is in it or something, I guess. And yeah. it shoots out a laser that creates spiders and snakes. Something of of that ilk is how it's described. Okay. It's I, just... I, I just, even though I've been to a few factory tours, you know, nothing like this, but I do love how they continue to spell everything out. So they hint upon the final processing. No, son, you don't want that mask. Take this mask. This one's already gone through the final processing. And at first you're like, that's just a throwaway line that they obviously want me right. to remember. But then, as Tom Atkins is doing his Scooby-Doo snooping, he looks right at the building that says final processing. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> there's the big arrow with the lights going on. Well, you know, he'll be going back there to, to see what's. Do we really need, do the robots really need directions? I mean, they really <laughs> need signs to tell them that this is final processing. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Jackson, can you make heads or tails of this? Nope. <laughs> nope, not at all. Um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You know, the, I don't know why that motel guy would... I guess he's fine with them coming and staying in his motel, but like, wouldn't he like it if they were repeat customers? Like, I don't understand why he goes along with Colonel Cochran so well. Hey, I you got to get the... I know, it's, I know it's weird, but it's... Hey, look, the guy's Irish too, you know? Maybe he's down with Sawin, which... which that, can that we finally... Can we give Tommy Lee Wallace credit for this? They actually pronounce it correctly. It's not Sam Hain. Yeah, yeah. Which so, I... Do, do they get that wrong in Halloween too? I can't remember. Yes. They do? Okay, yeah. so the, this is John Carpenter being like, look, I was tired. I can figure it out. Uh, I, I know the correct pronunciation. Um, but you touched on something. I love the part where, like, Tom Atkins and Ellie are, like, driving into the town, and they're, like, exposition dumping, and Ellie goes, Irish Halloween masks? And it's like, yeah, Ellie, they're they're called Silver Shamrock. Did you think they were Portuguese? <laughs> it's like, it's, that's a very odd line. Um, now, I do, I do think that she's kind of dumb as rocks, because she's supposed to be looking for her father's killer. And all, and instead she decides to spend another night so she can shack up with Tom Atkins. That was another question I had. Ellie was like, Ellie's father is still warm in the grave. And she's like, where do you want to sleep, doctor? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, was pretty funny. It was also kind of bold of Tom Atkins to make the assumption that she meant make out with me right now. Because she could have just been like, do you want to sleep in the car or on the floor? But he's just like, that's a stupid question. And just like, 
just, he's the stash. just give them a big old floppy kiss. <laughs> he's yeah. a he's a butt spanking stash. He can mm-hmm. do what he pleases. He he's a butt spanking. He's also a butt bearing. We do get to see Tom Atkins' <laughs> yes. butt in this movie. I know that uh, I know that Darcy the male girl has rewound rewound that scene several times. She probably wore out the VHS tape. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's something. I love how I also love how Tom Atkins asks Elia how old she is after he sleeps with her. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he sleeps with her, and then yeah. and then she goes in to kiss him, and he goes, "Well, no way. How old are you? That's where I draw the line." <laughs> it's like you probably should have asked that. I don't know, like an hour ago. Um, but uh, yeah. before they hit the road, probably. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm taking off with this. I mean, she says she's older than she looks. She looks like she's in her twenties, but I think the assumption is that we're supposed to think she's like 18 she like looks 18 but anyways it is very odd of him to do that um well it's funny you bring that up but we'll jump into the cast here in a second but i love that i was researching stacy nelkin who plays ellie and there's not much there she doesn't act much anymore she's like a a relationship counselor and addiction counselor and she met woody allen (laughs) You see where this is going? Oh, boy. Uh, when she was 16 and started dating him when she was 17. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. So, you know, art imitating life, I, I guess. But, uh, well, let's talk about, do we have any favorite scenes? You know, do you have, like, Jackson, you first. Do you have any favorite scenes in this? Oh, definitely. Other than I mean, the beginning. You talked about the beginning, but what else, anything else you like after that? I, I do love that scene. There's so many great, I mean, like, okay, we make fun of this movie, and but the, the worst thing it could have been was boring. And I don't think it's boring. I think there are a lot of things to make fun of. There are also a lot of, of genuinely good things. It's like, um, okay, well, the the first of all, the title cards counting down the days, I think that actually works in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like, you know, like the movie Freaky, where they do that for comic effect with Friday the 13th. But in this movie, we're counting down the, the days to Halloween. And it's not just like a dumb, like, they're putting in the date for no reason. It's really building suspense. Every day that you see that it gets closer to Halloween, you're like, uh-oh. Because we're, we're waiting for them to figure out the mystery and stop um, Silver Shamrock. But they're just not getting there fast enough, it seems like. Because we're out of days. We're on Halloween, and they still haven't figured it out. So. Well, it's but it's later even in the plot. Again, this plot, we don't know what's going on with Silver Shamrock yeah. until uh, what's her name, you know, accidentally, you know, starts tinkering with the microchip <laughs> and it blows her <laughs> face off. Yeah. Which is a great effect, by the way. Really scary. I mean, if like if that bug didn't come out of her mouth, that would have been even more disturbing. I think if she had just blown her face off and was like whimpering in yeah. the motel room. That would have been really disturbing, but of course they also have to go overboard with the locusts and snakes and stuff. Um, but and I love the scene with the kid, but like with her, it, it could have been more effective if she just accidentally blew part of her face off. That that probably would have been been you know more effective. But yeah, I love that scene, and I love the whole motel, like all these like this like he calls it a zoo, but they really are. It's just this like cart- all these cartoon characters at, at this motel, and anytime I get to see character actors, like I'm happy with that. And we get those. I mean, we get the the dorky family, you know, they're like, oh, we love Silver Shamrock, this big corporation. Come here, little buddy. You know, and the the, the kid is this bratty kid. And yeah, it's definitely like I love those, those kinds of characters. Um, and of course, we know what's going to happen to them. I mean, everybody's seen the clip online where the kid gets his face melted by the Silver Shamrock commercial. So as soon as you see that kid, you're like, oh, 
you know, they're, they're doomed right from the start, but yeah, that's, that's really, that's really disturbing. I like that the main characters are willing to leave the town, you know, instead of trying to stay there longer. I mean, it's a little too late, uh, when they do try, but like when they see her dad's car, they're not like, we got to go back and investigate more. They're like, we got to <laughs> leave now. Uh, of course they don't get to, but I, I like that their heads are in the right place, but, um, there's that, and, and my last last scene I'll, I'll point out is I like the part where Tom Atkins punches a robot and it doesn't flinch at all, and he just goes, "Oh Jesus!" You know, like that's the perfect <laughs> that's the perfect reaction. He doesn't go, "Oh, you're a robot! Oh my!" You know, he's just like, "Oh, well, I'm screwed." You know, that yeah. kind of thing, which is pretty funny. Greg, do you have a favorite scene in this? Oh, I mean, I think you guys covered a lot of the the good scenes. It's it's that. Um, how uh, Tommy Lee Wallace calls himself uh, the protege to, to John Carpenter. So there's a few uh, scenes that he kind of picked off of John Carpenter, like Christine-esque feeling with the car chases and stuff. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to see. And um, you just have all these like little things like those, the, the developing shots, the, you know, we're going to show the background and, I mean, the iconic shot of all the kids wearing the masks as they're building up, as they're going trick-or-treating is just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Even though, you know, they say Dayton, Ohio, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I I lived in Pasadena. Every one of those shots, it's Pasadena. (laughs) Um, Every every single one of those shots is Pasadena, California. Um, Yeah. I love the scene with the kid with the melting head too. He is a brat, but I remember being kind of weirded out by that when I first saw it, but Let's talk about the cast and, and we'll talk some more about their characters. But of course we have in the uh, lead role, Tom Atkins as Dr. Callies. I do love Tom Atkins. I've loved him in everything. Uh, Greg, what about you? I'm right there with you. I mean, he's one that a lot of fans enjoy. And once you start to see more of him, you just it just continues to build. Um, and Jackson pointing out the scene where he punches the robot and he just kind of shakes it off like a tough guy, but knows, well, this is it. It's very similar to his character in uh, Night of the Creeps, which is just a great Tom Atkins role. And so it's just, oh, he's can't. just such a joy to see. You see him going to be in the cast. It's like, well, this is already got a plus for me. So, oh, I, I love him even in small roles. Like oh, yeah. Escape from New York and you know, um, the remake of My Bloody Valentine, you know, I, I just, uh, yeah. Jackson, are you on board with uh, our love for uh, for the stash? Oh, definitely. I mean, he's a great actor. I mean, I'm, like I said, I don't like his character. I think he's a bad guy. Um, he's like, wait a minute, you know, you're I... telling me that a, <laughs> that a doctor who takes a possibly underage girl on a road trip on a Scooby-Doo, you know, mission, and who, by the way, is an ER doctor who smokes and is most certainly an alcoholic, who and also a doctor who shares his bottle of booze with a homeless person um you're telling me that he's yeah. not a good guy yeah i mean and, and it's funny you know the, the homeless guy's like i don't got no diseases and tom atkins is like okay and it's like you know that he also drank <laughs> out of that afterwards it's like there's no way it's so funny like when ellie first uh meets tom atkins she's like yeah the nurse said that i could find you here <laughs> he's just at the bar he's at the bar like, yeah, everybody knows he's at the bar yeah he's always at the bar i mean yeah he is like literally i mean there's when they first get to the silver shamrock town the first thing he says is i could use a drink let's go <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah 
So he's he's definitely um, yeah he's got that going. Wild on. turkey at wild turkey and Marlboro's first, you know, yeah. saving the world second. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I like where his head is, but um, yeah, he's 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 really not. And I love how um, oh, what's her name? The she plays uh she plays the character in Halloween. She she returns to be Tom Atkins' ex wife in this. Yep. Uh, what's, what's Nancy that at that time? At that the time it was shot, I think her name had then had become Nancy like Kai's or or mm. Kaez or something. Credited like as that. Nancy Loomis, right? In the yeah. in Halloween one. Right. Yeah. So she um she is his wife. We only see her in that one scene. We hear her on the phone. But it's like she's portrayed as this character where it's like, you know, oh, she's so she's nagging, this nagging ex-wife who's just Is she nagging or she, she just had enough? Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. It's like we as a I think we as a viewer are supposed to be like, geez, just let him do it. You know, it's okay. The kids can wait another weekend. But from her perspective, yeah, he's crazy. And he, he's probably been pulling this kind of stuff for a long time. So it's not, I mean, we know he's got a thing with the, with the coroner and a thing with the nurse. And he's more than willing to pick up this girl from the bar. You know what I mean? It's just like, obviously, he's been doing this. I'm sure this is not the first weekend he's missed with his kids. And, um, we, we, and, remind, and remember that the only luggage they have is her little, like, travel case yeah he wears the same clothes yeah he's like yeah. his clothes can hold out another day yeah he's not the most forward thinking um yeah he's not a good person but he is fun to watch um and that's yeah he's definitely not uh well, i was not, thinking so about him hopping into bed with ellie with uh didn't appear to be any protection anywhere around no no it didn't yeah he was not yeah that's so the worst I, er doctor ever <laughs> he is he is terrible though i will say lung cancer um, fatty liver and stds i'm your doctor <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he's got the stash though it's okay he's got the stash. um he's got the stash and see that's where i asked the question like where do we draw the line with the stash you know he's got the stash and that's cool but you know like at what point does he stop being charming and start being kind of a creep <laughs> i mean like i said darcy is still you know she still uh, fangirls over tom Atkins in this movie but i'm not really sure why I mean, like, I feel like even if, you know, it doesn't matter that he's handsome and he's got the stash. Like, he's a bad person. I feel like if anybody took on this role, you wouldn't like him. But for some reason, with Tom Adkins, and he's the only one, really, that could pull this off. Yeah, all right. So we can talk more about Tom if we want to. But we also have, because <laughs> there's not many people with even speaking roles in this, right? There are only a handful. It's a very pretty small cast. And we get Jamie Lee Curtis's voice, right? And so that's in there. But yeah, Stacey Nelkin didn't have, she had a big TV career. She didn't do a lot of feature films, but she did do, you know, a lot of TV. Um, I thought she was okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure nobody ran up to Meryl Streep when this came out and said, hey, you better watch your back. You know, it's Stacey Nelkin kid. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, this is kind of a spoiler, but at, you know, there's a part of the end where it's a big reveal that, oh, she was a robot and the real Ellie is probably dead. And I think you're supposed to feel something there, but that really didn't have the effect that I think it was supposed to. I have a note right now. Next line. Yeah. Robot Ellie. Yeah. Robot Ellie. Robot Ellie. I mean, first of all, how right, let make? me say, hold on. Robot Ellie, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, that's, that's, no, that's pretty much my note too. Uh, how did he make one so quick? You know, how did uh, Tom Atkins not notice that the person he was holding the hand of was a robot? 
Um, and, and, you know, it also doesn't matter because we don't care about Ellie that much. I mean, it's really like, she is obviously not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, if she's going to go looking for her father's killer in Silver Shamrock Town and then spend her time shacking up with Tom Atkins, it's really not like, we don't care. We don't care about her. She's not Tom Atkins, but she makes the same decisions as Tom Atkins. So we don't like her. Um, but yeah, so that's, it's, I think that, you know, overall the, the climax is kind of disappointing, but him punching your head off, that is, that is a cool moment. It's like a, uh, Friday the 13th part eight before Friday the 13th Did that, guys, did that scene go on a little too long? (laughs) Sure. There may have been one too many false jump scares. I don't know. Well, I mean, first it's with her and then it's with her, what is it? With her arm and then it's with her headless. I mean, it's like, uh, she's going to, she's going to end up like the black knight and Monty Python. Yeah, That's (laughs) what I was actually thinking. I was thinking exactly that. And you know what it also reminded me of? It reminded me also of the, the, the end of get out where, uh, where the grandma, you know, is, is like, uh, grappling with Chris in the car. It's like, I wonder if that has anything to do with that, but yeah, it, it does get a little comical that that goes on so long, and it's not. That's not even the end of the movie. We still also have the oh. the scene where it's like, oh, look at this. He's going up to the same guy from the opening, and he's acting crazy again. But now we know the reason why. All you right. know what I mean? It's like, man. I was going to save this for last, but I'll go ahead and ask it since you brought it up. Who in the world is he calling about the TV ads? Yeah, I don't know. He's calling <laughs> He's calling every TV station at the same time. What's going on with that? What, is he calling, like, the FCC? What's he... I don't... And he must is, be. Is the director of the FCC going to be going, hey, we've got an ER doctor from a small town in Northern <laughs> California on the phone. And oh, why didn't you tell me quicker? Yeah, you know? and they're like, we got an ER doc, and he's drunk, and he's talking about that this ad is going to kill people, and he wants to take, to take it off every channel. Yeah, we should probably start pulling him. But but not Channel 3. Channel 3 is where we draw the line. So, yeah, it's uh-huh. very, very odd. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. And it, it, it's left so ambiguous, you know. What, ooh, what a stinger ending. Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how the ad is still triggering that, right? Didn't they shut down their whole, or, like, operation? I, I, I don't, don't know. I they're don't trying think. to go for the, the body snatchers ending, right? Where yeah. it's like, oh, no, the world is doomed. But it just doesn't make any sense because... He exploded the facility, right? Like the whole, all the computers yeah, are but fried. I, and here's my theory, and maybe I'm wrong, and, and listeners can weigh in on this and send me nasty DMs, which I'm sure I'll get. Because <laughs> I I think that little pieces of Stonehenge are in the microchip and that reacts to the ad that activates the microchip. I, I think that's what's going on. Right. So was the ad already like the stations already had it? So no yes. matter even if he then why were they why were the people at the facility like doing stuff on the computers and like switching channels and stuff? Like what was Well, going look on at that? those computers. Those things weren't real. I mean, good it's like yeah. Star Trek. You just got a bunch of blinking lights that make no sense to anyone. So it it's one of the few parts of Airplane 2 I like, which is like, yeah. the lights are blinking out of sequence, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it, it didn't matter that they, they killed all the robots in Congress. No, that didn't I, matter. Don't, I don't think, that I kind of got because he drops all the chips while the ad yeah. is playing. And so it just starts misfiring, shooting. I, I, just, I have no idea what happened with the Stonehenge thing and, and you know with Cochran, but whatever. But, but the other stuff, I guess I kind of get, I was just always, even as a kid, when I first saw this, um, I just remember sitting there going, cause I'm in a small town. I'm a pastor's kid in a small town. We've got ER doctors in my church. I'm like, 
I'm pretty sure Dr. Williams up the street called NBC. He wouldn't get past like Kenneth the page. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, yeah. That's, that, that seems about right. Kenneth would be like, oh, well, I'm I can't confused. Yeah. Why, why exactly. are you talking about this killer ad? Yeah. That would, <laughs> that would be, that'd be how it went. Yeah. I'm not really sure. So what was the whole point of the climax where he kills Cochran and the robots? Like, he could have just escaped. I'm really not I sure. I guess why it was justice, but I guess it was justice. But in the end, and to escape. But in the end, we saw that you know, look, it's like we talked about earlier. I don't know what Cochran's final strategy was anyway. I yeah. have no idea so what was I'm, going on there. But yeah, he could have escaped and with the spare time called the TV stations early, right? Like I don't understand why he decided. Whatever doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Maybe Tom Atkins knew as much as we did, and he thought that maybe shut it, killing Cochran would shut it down, and it didn't. It's whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's a it's a it's a dumb movie, but um, it was entertaining. You know what I mean? It's like I don't understand exactly why the computers made that circle and why Stonehenge shot that laser beam and why Cochran was standing between Stonehenge and the computers if he knew that would happen. Um, but you know, whatever. Um, it's. It's 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 still fun. I, I do think I think it's funny that Connell Cochran he's an astrologist and that's why he's doing it now because of planets that are planets are in alignment. Like he looked at his horoscope and he was like, "Today's the day for Solomon. We better start making those masks." You know. I don't I don't get it, but I, so be it. It's but speaking of Cochran, we do have Dan O'Harely as Cochran. Most probably know him from RoboCop and RoboCop Two. I know him from Twin Peaks. He himself did not think much of this movie. <laughs> Um, but I think he is great. Yeah, I think he's he's great in this, you know, with what he's given. Um, it is kind of a flimsy motivation, but he does sell that monologue about Solomon in the hills running red, and that, that is a great scene. Um, if it wasn't so James Bondy, if he wasn't, like, leaving Tom Atkins there <laughs> without watching, if he had said that and then just sat down across from Tom Atkins, that would really be chilling. Um, but, uh, yeah, he leaves the room for some reason and won't get off the phone when his robot's trying to tell him something. Um, <laughs> it's so funny that he's like, oh, he's worried about his sales and he's on the phone with a businessman, even though he's about to kill everyone. I'm very confused about that. Yeah. Whatever. He it's, just it's killed fine. his best salesman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's he doing? It's, it's whatever. It's whatever the movie needs him to, to do. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of funny. He is, he is good in the movie. Um, I'm still exactly not really clear on, you know, how the mask functions. It doesn't really matter. How can Michael Myers sustain so many bullet wounds? Um, I guess it doesn't really matter, but, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. It just, the, the silver shamrock mask, just like it, for some reason, every single time they said silver shamrock, it reminded me of like always sunny, like Patty's pub. Um, that's all I got from it. I want to see it like a movie where Danny DeVito has those patties, green eggs, those like paperweights, and those are the bringers of the apocalypse. Everybody buys those patties, <laughs> green eggs. Now that would have been interesting. Danny DeVito in this role, I would have loved to see that. But I guess he would have been young Danny DeVito, like romancing the stone era Danny DeVito. But I think Jackson, when you graduate from film school, your first thing should be to a funny or die version of Halloween three. Yes. Yeah. I'll get Danny. It'll be great. But, uh, but yeah, Co Cochran's Cochran's a good villain. I mean, it's, he's definitely different than Michael Myers and literally every single way that they're, there's, they really, like I said, they really went for left field on this one, which I, I, I do respect. Uh, Jackson, anyone else you want to talk about before we talk about Mr. Tommy Lee Wallace? 
I, I do like the the old guy from the beginning. It's kind of cool that the, the main love interest is the daughter of the guy from the opening. So we get that opening scare that sets the plot in motion, but it also brings these two together. Like, from a script writing perspective, that's kind of a cool idea. Now, it is kind of creepy that Tom Adkins is so, like, devoted to her immediately. Um, but whatever. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of cool. But... Um, yeah, I think that's that, that's cool that they consolidated that. And he's a good like, uh, uh, what, what's that called? The the, the harbinger of doom. You know, he's harbinger of doom. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the herald, and he's kind of the crazy Ralph of this movie. Right. Um, I mean, he could have been a little bit more specific. I mean, instead of just saying they're going to kill us all, he probably could have said Silver Shamrock is an evil corporation that's going to kill children on Halloween. You know, just be a little bit more specific while he was still you know alive, but. But whatever. I mean, his kill is kind of cool. The idea, I mean, we don't see very much, but the idea that uh, the, the robot kind of snaps his nose and goes into his brain, I think, is the yeah. idea, which is pretty cool. There are some cool, some cool kills in this movie. I mean, I like the, we, we talked about the, the robot getting crushed by the car, but we also get Tom Atkins punching through a robot into his yellow liquid-filled body, which I'm not sure what's going on with the yellow liquid. Like, how is that factoring into them at all i mean we see that they're made of clockwork so where's the yellow liquid i don't know i have no idea the budget on this movie is like two and a half million i mean it wasn't a lot and everybody called it a flop but it made 14 million and so if it's the rule of three back then with promotion and so forth that means with marketing and everything it's 7.5 which means it made about a six to seven million dollar profit that's not bad for a quote-unquote b movie no, it's not. And I, I, I mean, it, it was kind of writing off the Halloween name, probably. But um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that there were a lot of repeat viewers, but it was, you know, it, it did well enough. And it's, you know, talking about Tommy Lee Wallace, he, he obviously he was he worked on Halloween one and then he was a ghost pirate actor in the fog. Uh, and then he mm-hmm. was the director of Halloween three, which is like a heck of a promotion. But um, yeah, I mean, we talked about the. the, the well, he'd it been movie. to film school with John Carpenter's. He'd been to right. film school. Yeah. yeah, he did the It movie. He did a few episodes of the Twilight Zone reboot, and he also did a few episodes of Max Headroom. Apparently, so oh. he's a he's a pretty good, pretty cool guy. I mean, so I mean, overall, yeah, I think that the movie it may run a little slow, slow in some places, and it's only ninety eight minutes. It's really it's really not that long, but it, it might run a little slow in some places. Places, but they kind of shot themselves in the foot by designing the script that way because. They have this device where we see every day up until Halloween, so you can't cut any of the days, really. Um, so they kind of shot themselves in the foot with that one, but you can't just edit so it's like, you know, we're okay, we're on this day, and we're here for 30 seconds, and oh, and now it's the next day. You know, that'd be kind of weird. Um, but uh, yeah, there are some slow moments, like where, where, where not much is really happening. I don't know that we need to see the nagging, you know, him calling his nagging ex-wife that much, or... Or we need to see so much of them, uh, of him, you know, licking her nipple. Why is that in the movie? Like, we could take that I out, don't probably. know. Um, but, yeah, we have that. And we have her getting out of the shower. Probably don't need that part. Um, but, but yeah, there is there is a lot of, I would say, fat in this movie. But overall, I would say um, that for this being what seems to be his first kind of big studio movie, um, as a director, I mean, he did a pretty solid job. Obviously, he's got Dean Kundi on the camera to help him out and to give this movie a little credo because it does look very professional, thanks to him. Like it looks like a, it looks like a real movie. Um, and yeah, I'm Dean, afraid that Dean Kundi always, you know, makes it look great. And so definitely. But I'm I'm with you know I'm with great. Look, I I like Fright Night Part Two. I don't love it. 
I like it, the miniseries. I don't love it. Um, I think Tom Lee Wallace is, I'm, I'm with Greg. I, I'd probably say B minus or C plus as a director. He's just like, he's certainly not up to, and he has said this himself. He said that like John Carpenter in film school, you know, and he was in film school with John and Dan O'Bannon and all those guys. And everybody was like, if one person breaks out of this group, it's going to be John Carpenter. They all knew it was going to be John Carpenter. Like he was the guru. He was the one everybody wanted to hang out with. And he's no John Carpenter. I think we can all agree on that, but I think he does a serviceable job here. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and yeah, it does. I think the biggest strength that this movie has is that it still feels, it has that feeling of the, the first two Halloween movies. Uh, I think probably thanks to Dean Coonley and, and John Carpenter and Deborah Hill still being involved. Um, but I mean, I, I love Halloween four. Uh, I think we all have some spots that we like in the rest of the Halloween franchise um well you brought it up the opening of halloween 4 is fantastic yeah 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 it's great i mean i I love halloween 4 as well but i think after three they start looking less and less like halloween movies if that makes any sense and halloween we talked about that it's like the the rest of halloween movies yeah they don't have john carpenter's touch necessarily they don't have that feel they don't have you know dean cundy and i think that's a big part of it but yeah. still, yeah, they have their moments. But I, I, I do think you hit on something, and we, we've talked about, we've touched on this, you know, when we first started talking, which is when you talked about the opening, the score, I think, is really good. Jackson, and you said that, I think you touched on something. It really ties Halloween 3 in with the first two Halloweens, that score. Oh, definitely. I mean, I love the the sound of that, that like, sense score. I think it's fantastic, and... You know, I think that a big reason I love The Fog, too, is also because of the score. They both have that similar mm-hmm. kind of gothic uh, sense score. But, yeah, it is it is a really catchy. I remember we did this thing on Patreon, Dad, where we played this game where I would play you, like, like a, a second of the beginning of a horror movie theme, and you had to guess what it was. And even though this is not the main Halloween score, it's still recognizable. I think you got it. I think you got Halloween 3 when I played it for you because it is recognizable, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's got this very brooding ominous opening and like i said i love that first scene i love the opening i think the rest of the movie just doesn't live up to how cool that opening is because with the score and he's running away from the car and everything it it really does have this energy that i think the the rest of the movie doesn't carry though i will say i mean that that last shot with tom Atkins screaming at the phone like with the score swelling and everything that is also that's also great so i think a lot of it comes down to the sound design and score um but yeah and and the you know obviously sound design wise like you touched on earlier you know having uh jamie lee curtis be the operator in the town was a really good touch even though it doesn't really make much sense because halloween is a movie in this universe so it's the actress jamie lee curtis that was a that was a favor because jamie lee and deb deb deborah hill were just buddies right and i like that i mean it's it's that's a that's a very effective thing that creepy kind of operator you can't because he does the vo- she does the voiceover in escape from new york too that's true yeah. yeah so she i mean and i would love to have her a theory on my phone how can i make that happen or my yeah. gps voice um i know that you can make arnold your gps voice so i want to make i want to make jamie lee curtis my <laughs> gps voice but yeah that's that's uh that's that's good stuff and so yeah it's, it's a good score i would i'd love to have it it definitely is more memorable than the later halloween movies which just kind of reuse remixes of the original score which is kind of lame like write right. your own thing which i i love that halloween 2018 they brought john carpenter back on and he actually wrote original music which was so yep. refreshing that they weren't just reusing laurie's theme over and over again and movies without laurie even in it 
Like they they reuse Lori's theme in like Halloween Resurrection, which doesn't even make any sense because she's killed off. It's like they're still using it. Why? But um, yeah, that's 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 my uh, that's my two cents about it. But, but well, it's cool. and of I course, I, I, I do have no, it on vinyl. Actually, I have it on. I have the the single on vinyl of the of the Halloween three theme. So it's just that good. Well, it, we've got to talk about before we leave the music. The Silver Shamrock ad song. Um, oh, boy. Set to London Bridges Falling Down because it was in the public domain. Everybody, every horror fan I know says they love it, but if it was on constant repeat on TV as a commercial every, like, five minutes, I think I'd get a little sick of it. Jackson, do you like the Silver Shamrock ad song? I do not. Um, yeah, I find, <laughs> it, I find it kind of annoying. It's fine in the movie, but I wouldn't I wouldn't listen to it outside of that. It's uh, Now, look, I love, like like a good commercial is a good commercial. And I love uh, the voice actor. He plays uh, Dr. Leo Spichemin on 30 Rock, which you referenced earlier. Yes. Um, he's in Rick and Morty. But those progressive ads with the box, they there was a while where they would play the same one over and over and over again yes. on every YouTube video. Every single one was that progressive box thing, or it was Jake from State Farm or Hump Day, you know, whatever. So I can understand why people are like, oh, that dumb, you know, fine, I'll buy a mask for my kids just to get you to stop playing this ad for me. I can I can kind of get that. Uh, well, what else do we want to talk about, gentlemen, before we wrap it up and give our ratings and recommendations? Jackson, what about you? Uh, I've just got a few pieces of trivia. It's kind of fun stuff that I know that you love to add the Halloween or the uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 novelization. Friday the 13th and Friday the 13th Part 2, you think it bridges the gap. Well, the Halloween three novelization was a bestseller somehow. I mean, mm-hmm. the movie was not a technically not a failure, but it definitely wasn't you know top of the chart. Wasn't a huge this, hit. No. We have this. The novelization of Halloween three somehow is a bestseller and was reissued two years after the movie uh, came out. That's, that's according to IMDb trivia. So take that with a grain grain of salt. But man, that's. I don't know. Maybe it's good. Maybe I need to check it out. Maybe it answers all our questions about about Cochran's plan and who Tom Atkinson is and what what's the deal with him. Maybe it, it gives us all the info we need. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's very odd. It's, it's it was written under a pseudonym though, so maybe not. It was it might it may have been one of those. Uh, uh, what's the the director Alan Smithy? Alan it may have been Smithy, Alan yeah. Smithy situation where this guy went as Jack Martin to publish the Halloween three novelization which i don't know it might be worth checking out but there's that and then one more piece uh which i actually did realize i was watching the movie and i was like where, where do i know that gas station from i had to look it up and then i found it in the trivia that it was also in the fog yep so that's that's tying that together so um makes you wonder if this is a cinematic universe you know is in this world the world where i guess it would make sense because jamie lee curtis and tom atkins are in the fog uh maybe they're twins i don't know but uh, or maybe that that Jamie Lee Curtis is the one that recorded the the uh, the the operator dial tone. I don't know. It's it's all a big mess. But um, I think a lot of people want to forget Halloween three. But I I think it, it it's worth preserving. Maybe you retitle it uh, posthumously. I guess you you call this anything but Halloween three. Uh, maybe just call it Season of the Witch. I think that would be better. Yeah, you may be right. But I, let's get to our ratings and, and recommendations. When I did my letterbox review, I think I gave this a six out of 10, but on rewatches, I'm going to kick it up to seven out of 10. Um, and I'll admit I do own it. I, I think it has plot holes, a plenty. It has just some bonkers elements to it. 
I now just chuckle at it, but I do think overall it's fun. And so that's where I'm coming down. So Jackson, what do you say? Well, dad, I think you were right the first time, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going with the six out of 10. Look, I, I do enjoy this movie a lot. And for, you know, everything that Greg said, I, I definitely agree with that. It does have that feel. And this would rank, you know, kind of middle of the road in my Halloween uh, franchise uh, ranking, I think. Honestly, like this is so much better than a lot of those unimaginative sequels. But it's also, it just doesn't really work on its own. I mean, I know I, it's a standalone movie that doesn't really work if you don't like the people making it. You know what I mean? It's like, if you don't know the history of it uh, and, you know, the camaraderie and the family, like Greg said, this just kind of seems like kind of a, a botched job. Um, but still, it, it, it is very entertaining. You know, it's not so bad, it's good. It, it's, not, it's not great, but it's, it's still entertaining. It's got lots of entertainment value to it. If not, you know, just to talk about its quirks. So six out of 10 for me, I, I would honestly recommend owning it. I don't own it. Um, but I'm sure it'd be fun to watch some, uh, extra features or a commentary or something that could be fun, a fun way to revisit it. But I mean, if you get a friend that, that, that's seen Halloween or even like the Halloween remake or the newest one, have them check this out. It might be funny to see the reaction. Don't tell them anything going in. Uh, and that, that would probably be the way I would rewatch it. Well, folks. Stick around to hear what uh, we will be covering next. In the meantime, you can find more from Jackson and I at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com and over on Twitter at fathersonhorror. We also have a closed Facebook group. Let me know if you want in and I'll make it happen. We also want to thank all of our Patreon supporters. All proceeds go to help Jackson through film school. You can find us over at patreon.com, fatherandsonwatchhorror, and you can join for little as $2.50 a month. And you get access to bonus episodes. You can recommend movies or themes or even be on the podcast. Hey guys, future editing Jackson here. As you probably already noticed, Greg cut out in the middle of this episode. Um, but this is usually the time in the episode where we would do plugs. Um, so I'm going to do his for him. But you can find him on Twitter at QUA419. That's QUA419 on Twitter. Um, and he's also in a competition right now called Face of Horror, and he's number one in his division right now, so go vote for him. Uh, you can find more info about that on his Twitter page, but definitely vote for Greg in, in Face of Horror. Check out his Twitter at QUA419. Um, yeah, so say goodbye to future editing Jackson and his mic quality, and say hello to past recording Jackson. Jackson, where can they find you? Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Uh, you can find my letterbox and YouTube from there. Yeah, definitely vote for Greg. Uh, I mean, I know that Greg Mortis is also running, but Greg Bench is first in his division right now. So he's got a real shot at winning, I think. Awesome. Um, so definitely, definitely vote for him. You can you can vote for free, or you can make a donation. I think it goes to a good cause. Um, but uh, yeah, check that out. Um, so yeah, definitely vote for Greg and uh, check out all the various podcasts he's on. Check out some of the episodes he's been on. I remember you were on one of our first episodes. We were covering we we're covering yeah. Shaw. So you are one of our oldest guests, and it's always a, a pleasure to have you on. Uh, so this is a lot of fun. Well, I can be found uh, as Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Letterboxd. And next up, our next episode, we will finish our Halloween franchise reviews with Halloween Ends. So we will record that as soon as we can after the movie drops, which will be in theaters and on uh, Peacock streaming again this year. 
And so uh, Jax and I will be doing that as soon as we can. Greg, thanks again for being on, buddy. Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember to leave a five-star rating on this podcast or we might just have to put you through final processing. <laughs> I don't know what that means. We'll figure it out, though, I guess. <laughs> Until next time, remember that the family that watches more together slays together. See ya. Once again, a huge shout-out and thanks goes to our Patreon supporters, Trey Whetstone, Stefan Sitter, Ryan Bratton, Pearl and Greg Morgan, Nick Stump, Kevin Corby, Joel Robertson, Ian West, Ian Urza, Greg Russell, Greg Bench, Dave Becker, Dan George, Chad Stice, Carl Davis, Brian Scott, Billy D, Andred, and our biggest fan, Amy Swan. Thank you guys so much for supporting this podcast. You make it possible. I think we can all agree that Halloween 3 is better than Jaws 3. Can we can we agree on that? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Dad, I'm not hearing you agree. What, 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 what was that about? Uh, I love Jaws 3. I, I know it's <laughs> dumb too, but...